but knowing is one thing, practicing is another, isn't it? Speaking the truth is often very challenging. Of course, at one level, speaking the truth is fairly straightforward. Uh, Don't tell a lie, speak the truth. But speaking the truth is more than not telling lies. It is, in fact, exposing and judging falsehood and enlightening and discerning true reality. And there is the first challenge with speaking the truth, uh, which I often find and experience. It's often quite difficult to work out what the truth of any given situation is. You feel like you lack the wisdom and discernment to know what the true things to say is at any particular moment, especially when you're under the pressure. Uh, Because of that, I think there is time to be silent and control our tongue. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 28 says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes lips, he looks intelligent. So rather than speaking nonsense, there are times where you should shut up and listen and don't say anything. And that will make you at least look a little bit smarter than you otherwise have been. But more often than not, I think we censor ourselves from speaking the truth, not because it is time to be silent, but because we all intuitively know the challenging consequences of speaking the truth. Now, when was the last time you remained silent, even though you knew what your boss was doing was wrong? Taking advantage of the system, taking advantage of others, taking shortcuts. You remain silent because you fear the consequences of speaking the truth. Now, when was the last time you didn't challenge your spouse? or your boyfriend or girlfriend, even though you knew what they were doing was ungodly, unwise, unloving, because you feared the consequences. Why do so many churches wince and refuse to practice church discipline on those who are disobedient? Because truth is challenging. And often the consequences are uncomfortable. Many people do not like hearing the gospel and many of us find it difficult to speak because the gospel reveals the truth. And the truth the gospel says about humanity is not very flattering, is it? At the heart of the gospel message is, repent, all of you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of repentance means that you are doing something wrong. The gospel declares that the king's way will triumph and kings will be done. All who are living in contrary to the way of the king, the gospel says be aware because he is coming back. Unless you repent, when he comes back, you will face judgment. That's what it's at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? The truth of his return, which is at the heart of the gospel, is good news. It really is good news and comforting news for those who will hear and listen to the words. Because it means that God will be with us. Isn't that great? That's what the gospel means. Repent for the king is coming back. Well, that's a good news, isn't it? He is coming back to be with us. Emmanuel. Death will not be our end. Sin and evil will not triumph as it is triumphing in the kingdoms of the kingdoms of the earth today. 
But what will triumph in the end is the return of our God in love and with life. But the truth of God's return is bad news and confronting news for those who will not listen and repent. You see, for the heralds of the world, as we see in verse 2 of today's passage, a resurrected prophet, a God who keeps on coming back with truth, is the worst possible news. Because one day, the God who keeps on coming back with truth will judge the world in accordance with the truth of his word. Now, today's passage gives us two contrasting responses to the truth, truth of the gospel message. The heartless King Herod and the headless prophet John. And the right response is not the easy way, we're told, but it's the only way. It's the true way. Truth, which has nothing to fear, unlike the falsehood, and truth, not even death can overcome. Let's have a look at the passage in detail. Chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. Now, uh, who is the Herod the Tetrarch? There are quite a few Herods in the Bible, and it can uh, easily get confusing. So here, here is a family tree of Herod. It's not very simple. Very confusing, actually. Uh, Herod the Tetrarch, his father was Herod the Great, whom we already met in Matthew chapter 2, uh, where he tried to put to death all the babies under the age of two, an appalling act uh, uh, in pursuit of killing Jesus. Uh, that event captures Herod's character very well. Uh, he was anything but great. You know, the our world, it, it's really sad, isn't it? that the history would call such a man and give a title, Herod the Great. But he was nothing but great. He was an egotistical tyrant. Uh, he also had many wives, as you can see from the family tree. And Herod the Tetrarch, also known as Herod Antipas, was the son of his fourth wife out of ten. Now, with all his wives and 14 children, Herod grew insanely suspicious of whoever had claimed his throne, and he murdered, executed, and assassinated many who were closest to him, including many of his sons. So at the time, there was a popular saying in the land of Palestine, saying it is safer to be a dog than Herod's child. Herod Antipas was one of the lucky sons, you might call, who survived the power battle and inherited a quarter of his kingdom, hence the name Tetrarch. Uh, we're not told in today's passage, but Herod Antipas was the first Mary to an Arabian princess, a daughter of King Aretas, the sixth of Nabataean kingdom. But like his father, his marriage was complicated. Herod Antipas had a brother named Aristobulus, who was murdered by Herod. And Aristobulus had a daughter named Herodias, who is mentioned in verse 3. Herodias first married Herod Philip I. Sorry about all these names. It's very confusing, is it? Herod Philip I. Herod Antipas' half-brother. So technically, Herodias was Herod Antipas' niece as well as sister-in-law. So what happened? We're not given the details in verse 3 because presumably the first hearers of Matthew's gospel all knew about Herod's repugnant adultery. Uh, historians of the first century report that one day while Herod Antipas was visiting Philip, he proposed marriage to Herodias well, he, a married man, proposed to her, a married woman. She accepted, 
They went on to sever their previous marriage covenant, their oath, their promise to go back on their vows, to love and cherish their husband and wife for better for worse. She got a divorce, he got a divorce, then Herodias and her daughter moved in with Herod and Tippus. As I briefly narrated Herod's adultery there, uh, summarized even more briefer uh, in verse 3 and 4, I hope you felt appalled by it. But if you're anything like me, I fear, sadly, whether you simply thought, oh well, he committed adultery. Because we live in a world where sexual immorality and adultery has become so normal. Isn't that right? It's a tragic but a true state of our world. We read of stories like this and sometimes it doesn't even disgust us anymore because we are so normalized by sexual promiscuity and adultery in the world around us. Our world normalizes and even celebrates sexual immorality through the movies and sitcoms, through the shameless parading of sexual promiscuity of the celebrities. How many movies are basically pornography with a bit of a narrative plot? How many sitcoms make fornication and adultery a natural and even healthy part of life? Unfaithfulness, betrayal, selfishness of adultery is widespread in our society. Uh, But brothers and sisters, the sad truth is that the church has not fared much better in this regard. The adultery within the churches the fornication within the churches, the use of pornography within the churches, the unlawful divorce within the churches, statistically, we have not been much better. Those who claim to speak the truth, to live by the truth, haven't been much better, have we? That's the sad truth, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, we must repent of this individually as well as corporately. And one of the reasons why I think, among other things, we have failed in this regard is because of our reluctance to speak and act with the truth. For the fear of losing friendships. For the fear of losing comfortable relationships. For the fear of losing popularity. When was the last time you rebuked someone personally for their sexual immorality and challenged them to repent? When was the last time we as a church disciplined somebody who confesses to be a Christian yet unlawfully divorced and leave their spouse? When was the last time have we done that? Speaking the truth gets really hard when it becomes personal like this. That's what I learned. You know, it's one thing for me to point finger at Hollywood and and criticizes it and criticize its sexual immorality. I realize it's another thing for me to sit down with a brother whom I know, whom I have shared life with, whom I dearly love, and rebuke them and challenge them to repent. That's hard, isn't it? Sitting down with a friend who is contemplating to leave his wife, confronting him, that takes a gut. And true love. Because that's what love is. A commitment to the welfare of the other person. 
Love never rejoices in wrongdoing. Love never gives cheap grace or, or, or cheap comfort. Adultery is never falling in love, but always failing in love. I pray to God this isn't the case with any of us gathered here, but I believe in the Bible, and the Bible always speaks the truth, and Bible warns us about adultery, so we must hear it. If any of you are ever incited by Satan to consider adultery, even if that's not with a real person, but only in the fantasy world of your own, Listen to the truth. The word of God says, you shall not commit adultery. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, submit to your husbands as church submits to Christ. Adultery is never falling in love, but always failing in love. It's deeply antisocial, so it can never be love of neighbor. It destroys relationships within family, relatives, children, and friends. More importantly, it dishonors and disobeys God, the creator and ruler who is coming back to judge the world. Brothers and sisters, let us listen to the truth, speak the truth, and live by truth. That's what John the Baptist did. Look at verse 4. No one would have said anything, but John had been saying to Herod, I think that's better translated, John had been repeatedly saying to Herod, this was not one-off incident, the righteous, faithful John repeatedly said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her as your wife. What a sight it will be when every Christian in our land would speak the truth with the same kind of courage and conviction that John the Baptist had. I think that will change the land, wouldn't it? But despite hearing the truth of John, however, Herod did not repent of his sin. The Gospel of Mark recounts the same story in more colorful fashion. There, in Mark chapter 6, verse 20, we are told that Herod actually knew John to be a righteous and holy man. Wow. So Herod knew the difference between righteous and unrighteous, between holy and unholy. Apparently, John's repeated speaking to him of the truth pricked at his conscience. And though he never admitted it, though he never repented, he knew John to be a righteous and holy man. However, Herod would not repent. And instead of repenting, he decided to refute the truth by killing John, a person whom he knew to be a righteous and holy man. It's scary what sinners are willing to do to evade the truth, isn't it? Yet this again is a tragic but true state of our world. Ever since the murder of Cain, um, we have been living in this world. And how many times have we hear of, do we read of stories in the newspaper? Adultery leading to tragic murder. But we learn here of another characteristic of Herod. Uh, Instead of putting John to death, he put him in prison. Uh, Why? Verse 5, he feared the people. This is what people who live by lies are always worried about. They are always fearful. Fearful to be found out. Uh, Fearful to lose power. Because 
it is only by abusive power that they protect themselves. He was a coward and manipulative politician who rules not according to truth and integrity, but what will get him power and popularity. Once again, a sad but true state of our world that the gospel is showing us, isn't it? That's the kind of world we are living. We have been living for the last 2,000 years. This is the state of the kingdoms of the earth. While John was in prison, however, another event unfolded one day, verse 6. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. Uh, It's a familiar scene, a birthday party, uh, but more like a crude bachelor party. By the way, uh, did you know that the Bible doesn't really mention much about birthdays? Have you ever seen uh, Bible speak about birthday parties very much? Uh, chances are not, because Bible only mentions birthday parties twice in the whole Bible. Once in the New Testament in this passage, and another in Genesis 40 to speak about Pharaoh's birthday party. Apparently, according to the historian Josephus, Jews never celebrated birthday parties because it led to uh, a Gentile promiscuity and drunkenness and debauchery. Yeah. That's something to think about, isn't it? Uh, I mean... I'm not saying, therefore, we shouldn't celebrate birthday parties. Um, please remember my birthdays. It's coming up only in a couple of months. But there is time to celebrate, and life is a great gift from God. But I think it's a good reminder, isn't it? How many times have we done foolish, regrettable things because uh, on birthdays, in parties? As, as Christmas approaches and end of year comes, be aware to never use the, the atmosphere as an excuse to do foolish things. That's probably more appropriate thing for me to say to the, our afternoon congregation. I'll share it anyways. Well, come back to the narrative. All the supposedly powerful people are invited to this party to eat, to drink, and to be merry with Herod. And when it's time for the entertainment, which usually meant that slave girl would come out and dance before them instead of a slave girl, now... The daughter of Herodias, Salome, comes out and dances, and it pleased Herod. A very tame way of speaking of his lust. Driven by sexual fantasy and most likely intoxicated with alcohol, he makes a boastful and foolish promise that he will give the daughter of Herodias whatever she would ask. Uh, When you read Mark's gospel, Herod says to her in Mark chapter 6 verse 23, Whatever you ask me, I'll give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And you know, that's meant to be funny. You know, Mark's being funny and cheeky there because he's not even a king. He's a tetrarch. That is, he rules a quarter of his father's kingdom uh, by the will of his father and conferred on by the Roman Empire. He's not even that powerful. But he thinks he's so powerful and nevertheless he boasts. Whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. He is proud, lustful, and as we'll see, foolish. Little does he know that his wife has set up a trap to force his hand about John the Baptist. And soon enough, he finds out the daughter of Herodias return, and prompted by her mother in verse 8, she says, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. He was caught. Either he could keep his oath, and behead John, whom he knew to be a righteous and holy man, and at the risk of displeasing the crowd, whom he was very fearful of. 
or he could reverse his promise and repent of his foolishness and sins. Well, what does Herod do? Verse 9. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. Uh, it's ironic, isn't it? You know, this, is, this guy is an adulterer who so easily dishonored his wedding vow. That oath that he spoke, that I take you as my wife to love and cherish, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. He thought it wasn't too bad to go back on that word. But when it comes to keeping his face, when it comes to his pride and his ego, he thought, I have to keep that word. So he gave the head of John the Baptist. He would even kill a righteous and holy man when he came to keeping his pride. It's scary, isn't it? But I think Matthew is showing us that this is what sin does. This is what happens to your heart if you keep refuses, refuse to listen to the truth and repent according to the gospel words. Sin spreads. Did you notice that in this account, Herod basically disobeys all of the Ten Commandments? You know, barring the commandment about the image making and Sabbath keeping, and who knows how well he was doing on those. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, he definitely breaks that. You shall not take the name of God in vain, that foolish oath making that he did. Honor your father and mother. You know, I don't think he, his father and mother would have been very happy with taking a brother's wife to be his wife. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, whom he knew to be a holy and righteous man. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, his male servant or female servant, or anything that is your neighbor's. And he basically commits everything that Jesus condemned in the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapter 5. See, sin spreads. Sin sees conscience. Lie begets lies. And self-centeredness knows no end. The only antidote against the sin and spread of sin is to hear the word of God and repent for the forgiveness of sins that is in Christ Jesus and to follow him. Now what about you? Are you like Herod? entangled in sin at this point. It might be a sinful relationship. It might be a sinful thought life. It might be a sinful indulgence, a hobby or a habit that you refuse to stop even though you know that is entangling your heart away from God. And when you are confronted with the gospel truth, challenging you to give up sinful pleasure, the temptation is to walk the safe middle ground like Herod, silencing the word of God, ignoring it, or self-justifying it. Brothers and sisters, never cover up, ignore, or persist in sin when the word of God reveals the truth before you and calls for repentance. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now, all of us have failed one way or another. And all of us, that the message of repentance is addressed to all of us. 
But in Jesus, there is forgiveness. And in Jesus, there is life, new life, without regret. However, worldly grief only produces sorrow and leads to death. Just like Herod and just like Judas Iscariot. Herod's grief was a worldly sorrow. He felt sorry about the choices he made, but that didn't stop him from turning to Jesus. Look at verse 10. Herod sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Uh, I imagine after verse 10, what would have happened? Presumably, the party continued. Party stopped for a few minutes to proceed with the beheading of John. And after a while, let's continue partying with more drinking and dancing instead of repenting. So John lost his head. The great prophet, the person whom Jesus said to be the greatest to be born among women back in chapter 11, verse 11 of Matthew's Gospel, his end was a humiliating death. And why? Because he spoke the truth in accordance with God's word. But this is not the end of John. Because of the truth which John believed and proclaimed. Remember the full content of John's message? John spoke the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is coming. Because the king is returning. King is coming to establish the kingdom of heaven. The everlasting kingdom of righteousness and holiness. Where the king will welcome all who trusted and followed him and obeyed his word. John knew that. John knew that this was not the end of him. And Jesus came and did exactly what John proclaimed. John's suffering and death prefigured the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. As the forerunner, the one who sent to prepare the way of the Lord, John's life and death foreshadows that of Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, You'll notice, uh, as you keep following Matthew's Gospel, that as John was seized and bound, so Jesus will be seized and bound. They use the exact same word, Matthew. As John stands before Herod, so Jesus will stand before Pontius Pilate. As John was beheaded for righteousness' sake, Jesus will be crucified for the sins of the world, including yours and mine. And the one who died for your sins and my sins is now risen and is returning back again. The king will return to vindicate his people, to judge the Herods of the world in righteousness, and to raise the faithful Johns of the world in glory and honor. The truth is that sin will not prevail. The sting of death has been lost in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He will raise the body of John and bodies of all our fallen faithful brothers and sisters to everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. That's the truth. Isn't that wonderful? That is the truth. 
that is the truth given to us? That is the truth in which we can stand and hope in? That's the truth worth speaking. Don't be silent about that truth. With that truth, Jesus now calls us, his followers, to the same life of cruciformity. Uh, John foreshadowed Christ's death and Christ died for the sins of the world and now risen and he's coming back to judge the world. But now Christ calls all who follow him to live the same life of death and resurrection. Uh, we are not to live for glory and honor now, but, but for kingdom of heaven. Our lives are to be characterized by death, then resurrection. We are to be like John in imitating Christ, in speaking the truth, in patiently, joyfully suffering for righteousness' sake, that we may also be raised and share in the glory of his resurrection. That's what Jesus said back in chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account, because you love me, because you speak my words, because you abide by the truth that I say, well, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, you may have been aware that the Archbishop of Sydney has been under fire this week uh, for the address that he made at Synod in the past week, uh, in which he boldly stated that those who seek to change church's doctrine about marriage and sexuality, they should leave the church. Uh, he was directing especially against the leaders and so-called bishops of other Anglican dioceses uh, who's been seeking to change uh, the gospel's words about sexuality and marriage. A reasonable thing to say uh, for an archbishop who confesses to believe and submit to every word of the Bible, one might say, but apparently not. Uh, he's been in the firing line, not only from people outside, that doesn't surprise me, but even from people within the church. You see, speaking the truth is challenging. The consequences, often uncomfortable. Yet, we must speak the truth. Stand firm in the truth. Not only begrudgingly speak the truth, but may I say, love the truth and live the truth. Because only in the gospel of truth, there is forgiveness of sins. There is hope of everlasting life. There is reconciliation with God. Only in the truth of the gospel, there is kingdom of heaven. So let us walk in the footsteps of the prophet, speaking and living the truth in the dark and crooked world, testifying to the greatness of our Savior, patiently and joyfully enduring all affliction and suffering that may come our way for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel of truth. Let's pray. Almighty God, by whose providence thy servant John the Baptist was wonderfully born and sent to prepare the way of thy Son, our Savior, by preaching of repentance, make us so to follow his doctrine and holy life that we may truly repent according to his preaching 
and after his example, constantly speak the truth, boldly rebuke bias, and patiently suffer for the truth's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.